foundation. Our passion is to mentor the younger generation to see that they're able to live their dreams and live the best life that God has called them to. And we're passionate about the younger generation. We're passionate about actually modeling the correct values to our young people so that they can express all their God-given potential and be all that they are supposed to be in their generation. Uh, we'll have Mrs. Daniel up now. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Matt, to Silent General, the Matt edition. We've had two amazing personalities in January and February. We're, we're just pumped up for what is set to offload here today in the Matt <laughs> edition. Because okay. we know that you're going to, you know, you're going to give us a lot of light and wisdom in the area you know, speaking about this morning. So you're welcome, Matt. Thank so you. you. Okay, so hello, everyone. I like to always say that beyond reading my bio, um, a lot of people just say, oh, wow, you've done so much. But very many, very few people, you know, get to know what um, your story is. So, you know, where are you coming from and where are you now? I think the, the, what, the, what, the, what the bio does is shows where you are now, you know. And maybe where you're coming first, things begin to look good. Uh, so your bio will not say all the, you know, times where you have to fall, you know, and all that. And you have to make mistakes. So I'm coming from a, a background that I like to call very humble. <laughs> humble in the sense that uh, my police officer when I was growing up. And so at a certain time in my life, we had to live in the barracks. And it was very difficult living um, there. Whenever I exposed to the barracks life until... My dad started to, you know, work um, in the office, and then he was no longer working with, you know, rich people. They got it oddly at those times, you know. So, so I remember the first time we were in the barracks, and I was like, "What's going on here? Like, where is this?" You know, because that's not what I was used to. And my mom would joke and say, "This is supposed to have been your life a long time ago." It's just because we're privileged to not be, uh, not not be living here, you know, um, all these years. But this is it. And my dad was, my dad was quickly jumping and saying, "No, this is not supposed to be your life. You know, even though you are living here." You are not of this life. <laughs> you are not of the barrack life. And I'm like, what does he mean? I said, no, you can't make friends here. I'm like, what? You know, I said, you can't make friends here because girls here will get pregnant at 13. And they will sleep with boys. And boys will be taking drugs. And my father had all those notions of you can't hang out with barrack kids. And I'm like, why me, barrack girl? And he's like, no, you're not. So my background sort of is from there. And of course, you know, when your dad goes to work, of course, you make friends. So, of course, I didn't make friends. And I really, really confirmed things. Because my friends, after I was there, 13, 14, they've had six years of abortions. And I'm like, what? You know, like, and I into hard drugs. And, you know, my dad really confirmed my fear. You know, uh, he, actually, he confirmed his own fear. And then became my fear. You know, and the profound thing about my family is that we're very small. And, and because we're very small, we sort of know each other growing up and so my dad always gathers us around every christmas you know talk to family talk to everyone so one christmas my dad says to us oh you know what i was nine and my dad says to me um um no one in this family ever went back to secondary school so i wish that one day you can do that you know i look around everybody says no not just i mean ever like ever 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 so it's not just this bunch of people that are here for christmas and you know, so that became like a family dream. You know, everyone knew about that dream. My father wanted, my first dad wants us to go to school, you know, university. Wow. And people were like, ah, how is that possible? It can never happen. You know, like everyone, people were like, how? You know, but it was my dad's dream. So even though I was living in the barracks, 
even at the time, I was from a very small family. I'm from Kaduna South in Kaduna State. I'm from the minority of my tribe in Nigeria. If I'm not for my 420, if I'm not remember mine. You know, so I'm sort of minority, minority. To make matters work, I'm a girl. So that, there were so many odds against me. But, you know, that my dad's dream, you know, even from a very humble background, was it, it became a family dream. Everyone in my family knew that my, was my dad's dream for me to go to university. Um, so what happened? Yeah. I'm coming from a background where it, it, wasn't, it wasn't rosy, but it was very... We were, we were well brought up. My dad ensured that we were well brought up. And a lot of people had asked me over the years, so how come you are, because they buy a club to speak kitchen. And I tell them that because when my dad was oddly, when the rich people would give, want to throw their books, my father would pack them in Ghana was good, you know, and he'd bring oh. a, ba- a bag of books. And so we had loads of storybooks that I would never have to read, to, to read if my dad wasn't, you know, working. So even though I used to say, oh, my dad was a police officer, I was something I was proud of. But I was proud of the kind of man that he was. You know, he really, you know, the kind of man that he was, even though I wasn't part of the, 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 his job for a very long time in my life. But I was proud of the father that he was because, you know, I wouldn't have had the exposure to books that I had at that age if my dad didn't, you know, take the steps to ensure that we did. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. I'm first in my family. We have three younger brothers. Uh, I'm the only girl. But I'm here. <laughs> so I think that's, that's what I've said a lot. That's what the family, right? <laughs> yeah. So that'll take me to my next question. You, you, said, you said a little bit about, but I wanted to go into detail. Now, mm-hmm. as a young person, you mentioned something which I, I also believe is one of the defining moments in your life where you, your, your father told you nobody has ever gone past this stage in the family. And I'm looking to you to you know, break the dreams, right? And, and for you, that became a goal. That became a dream. And you started unconsciously trying to cross that order in, in the family, making sure that, you know, it's not a ceiling anymore. You, you, you bought the ceiling. Now, what are the other defining moments in your life as a young person? That you can say, this happened and it completely shifted me as a person. I will use... When my, my dad said I was with no one of my family ever went past secondary school, I, well, I never thought it was a defining moment, you know, because really I didn't take it seriously. Oh. <laughs> I didn't take it seriously. I said, I have secondary school now, I'll graduate. You know, I was going, I was going to there, so I think I was writing common and then. So I was like, ah, I'll go to secondary school, I'll graduate, I'll go, I'll go with my friends. I thought I was rolling with friends who were already going to go to university. So it didn't feel like oh. there was anything strange, really. So I didn't really see it as an important thing. So even when people talk about it in my family, I thought, what are they talking about? It's not just to go to university or just, or go to uh, I'm at the building. I didn't think I was a big deal. I was like, I'll play the exam. I'll, no, I used to just say it casually, but I never took it seriously. I think the most defining moment in my life was when my, I lost my dad. I think when I was 16. Oh. Um, and so it, it, it just dawned on me at that time that this would now become something that I have to struggle to get. Because all my life, my dad had to struggle to ensure that we get the things that we have. And so taking him out of the picture just meant at that time that, you know, I have to be the one to do all these things myself. And so it was a defining book. I'm like thinking, it's like a skill. It's like skill fell off my eyes. Oh. I'm like, okay, okay, what is like, you know? And so it was a defining moment for me because I started to think of, I started thinking deeply about my life and my brother really, really think deeply. Before then, it was just okay, we get by, you know? And so I, that was when I, I made sure that I said to myself, you know, I, I don't care what happens, you know, I would let, I would, as long as it's legit, I would do whatever it takes to get that, no matter what it is. In fact, I, I know one time, so I knew someone that was studying animal and fishery and at the time, 
And I used to joke and say, even if he's going to study animal and fishery, <laughs> you guys didn't think what he what he meant. Yeah, so animal and fishery, like it's strange, but I say, even if he's going to study animal and fishery, I'm going to just get to that university and come out. You know, so that was when I picked up that vision of my dad. You know, I'm sure that that became that was no longer a family vision; it became my personal vision, it became my personal ambition. You know, to ensure that I made that happen. Say to my mom, oh, Raquel's brothers have dropped out of school because they, they can't afford to pay. We can't afford to pay their school fees. Maybe we should marry Raquel off. You know, so we can whoever marries her can now take responsibility of our, our younger brothers. It was a grand idea because my younger brother, I need, I, I would love to do that for them, sacrifice that for them to go to school. But I remember that my dad kept saying that if I get an education, you know, it will break the cycle of poverty in our family. Wow. And I was like, okay. So I thought that if I, if, and then I, I thought to myself, if I marry now, because my brothers might not end up going to school. So what if I, I don't go to school? I mean, my, I won't break it. I mean, my goal was to break that cycle of poverty that my brother was talking about. So even though I, I love my brother. I love my brothers too. But I didn't want to think I could sacrifice that vision that I had for them. I didn't think that I wanted to do that. I felt like I could do more for them if I had an education, you know. And so I, I refused to get married. So that, was, that, that, that day was also another defining moment where I had to make a decision to either stay here and get married or run away, you know. So like two hours, I was to my friend Helen and I kept saying, I have to go. And she said, saying, no, you do your mom so heartbroken. I said, I have to go. If I don't want to be, they're going to marry me off. And I can't say no to my mom. Like my mom is widowed. She's hurt. You know, she's broke. You know, I won't be to face her to say no, you know, I, I, I'm able to, so I, I rather not see her face eye to eye, I just disappear, so she doesn't see me at all, you know, and so I took that step, which which was not a good thing, like I always say, teenagers and young people who are caught within the, the, the wall and in hard place that, you know, you, there are other things you could do, there are other ways I could, I could have gone to church, my pastor was very liberal, you know, at the point where I've gone to his family, mm-hmm. and I could have, those people that were older, that were, my mom would listen to, and they could have probably helped my family, but I, I didn't find other alternative, one of the most difficult decisions that I ever made in my life, so, that, those are like, some of the defining moments for me. Defining moments in your life, awesome. So the loss of your dad brought you to a point where what you either told did not take serious about, you know, breaking the family dreams that just breaking the cycle of poverty now makes sense to you. Mm, yeah. in your life. Yeah. So that loss brought you to the consciousness of what you have been saying to you. Either told what you never yeah. took seriously. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So I want to ask you this, man. Raquel Daniel, if you're going to define life, what's the definition you give to life as of where you stand today? Life is what you make of it. You know, I, th- I, th- I believe that we're all giving this a whole full day, different ages that we're going to live from, you know, when we are born to when we die. All of us are given different. Either some are given 30, some are given 20, some are given 10, some are given 100, some are given 150. People are given different lifespans. I think what life is, is what you give them, you know, what you make us. So even if it's 10 years that, you know, God God has given you on earth and you're here and you pass on at age 10, it's what you make within that time that really counts. If Jesus had 33 years and most of his ministry was three years, 33, or, or three years, 33. So I think it's most, it's actually what you, this, the that you breathe, the life that you have. I think that's what life is. So what, what you choose to do with it is not what happens. I know that a lot of people don't have opportunities that others have, you know. Some people don't have the opportunities that others have. However, there are people who didn't have that same opportunity, but they made something out of their, their lives. So really, as you say, it's about the person, how they see what life is. I think that's what life is to me. Mm, I, I love that. You know, you, you mentioned lifespan that we could be given. So life mm. is a gift, more or less. And, you know, you could be given the gift of 100 years, a gift of 50 or yeah. 30 years, like only of Jesus. Yeah. You know, he had the gift of the three and a half years. But his life was mm-hmm. beyond the span. It was about what he made of it. How he touched lives. I was able to break status quo and write beautiful story and message treasure. Awesome. 
Now, it's going to lead me to my next question. Many young people blame their families for the outcomes of their lives. You've mentioned something around you, but I want you to really teach on this a little bit. You know, did the kind of family you were born into contribute for good or bad to the person or the outcome of your life experiences? Maybe you'd have wished, okay, maybe if I was born into a Dagotin family, maybe I could have turned out differently. Do you say that, that, you know, the family you were born into contributed yeah, so when I was younger, I used to wish that we had a bigger house, <laughs> you know. I remember we used to live in a big queue, then one on one, one very affluent man's house, my dad was oddly. And I used to say, why why can't you live in a big house? <laughs> why do you live mm. in My mom would say, well, it's their house. My, your dad is working with the, their father, so we have to live here. And I'm thinking, well, why can't we live in the big house? Why can't we have a big house too? You know, but I was young at that time. And, I, and I, I'm sure that a lot of young people at certain times also wish that they had bigger houses. They say when you're young, you're family. Um, and, so, and to answer your question directly, yes, the, the family that I was born into, you know, really has an, an impact on our lives. So we decide to embrace it or we insult our family or blame our family. I think it's, it's less to us what we do. Because for a long time, I didn't want to embrace the fact that when I was in secondary school, when I was, I didn't like that my dad was a police officer. Because people thought a lot bad, you know, they would just insult me. They say, yeah, I'm a lot bad, you know, and all that. Or, and then in the north, they say, yeah, I'm police and all those. Just they insult you, just feel like, yeah, yeah, just a low life, you know. I loved I wish that I was my dad but my parents were had a better life, had a different life. And so I, I what I started to, to to say when I tell my mom, my mom now says if you don't like it, change it for your own family, for your own children. You know? So that your children will say they are proud of the parents that they have. And then my mom said, But that can't change who we are. That's how, and so it used to hurt me a lot when I was growing up, but I never blamed my family because, of course, I would have had a different life if I was born and I said, allow whatever it is, right? A different life. But who says it's going to be this life? And really, I love this life, this particular journey I'm on. Um, and I believe that it can get better. It can get better as long as it's life. It, so, yes, you would have a different life, but you wouldn't have this life. So I wouldn't know what it means to have this conversation with you if I wasn't born in, in, in this family. Because yes. the reason why I'm here is because of the family I was born the family I was born into, you know, the, the part that I've, I've taken is called the family I was born into. I wouldn't end up on the street if I didn't, if my, if my family wasn't trying to get me married. You know, I would never live on the street. I would never meet the people that I met along the way in my journey if I didn't end up on the street. So a lot of things that have happened in my life, you know, happened, things are happening right now are happening because of my family, because of the family I'm born into. So do I want to change my family? I don't want to really because I love my brothers. And I always, my husband always jokes and says that when I say, ah, maybe I'll say, if I was a big man's daughter, and I say, if you're a big man's daughter, I won't, I won't see you to marry you. And I would laugh. You know? <laughs> you know? So if I wasn't in this family, I wouldn't be the Russian side. You know, so like he always says that, you know, I'm happy for the family you're from because I get married because of that. And so, um, and that's because I'm actively ensuring that the kind of family I want that, you know, they can say, okay, yes, I'm happy to be in this family. You know, to just like I now as an adult can say I'm happy to be a part of my family. I don't wish I don't wish I was born in any family. When I was younger, maybe yes. <laughs> yeah, but now looking back as an adult, no, I love my family. Your journey as your family has actually defined your journey. If you were born into another family, you wouldn't have this journey. In fact, you wouldn't you wouldn't have been able precious things in your life right now would not have been there if not for the peculiarity of your journey. Yeah. which was actually yeah. defined as foundationally by your family. family. And that's yeah. awesome. Sometimes when we hear young people say this kind of thing, like, like you said, when we were younger, you had issues <laughs> around it. Yeah. You got but when you yeah. came older, looking back, you're like, okay, you know what? I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm fine with it. And that's so important. So 
to embrace, you learn to accept, you learn to live with. And Ms. Daniel said, you know, there are certain things that you're given a life as a gift, learn to embrace it, learn to make the maximum use of it. You, you won't have it again. This world you have, make use of it. There are people that have their stories flipped, and today, if they're not here, we're not having this conversation with them. So it's the clarity of our journey that brought us to this place where we can say, you know what, we want you to model your people. We want you to speak of your story, the challenges you have to face, and the triumphs that you're having right now. So it's important you embrace your journey. It's important you embrace who you are. Don't don't get into that space where you feel as though you want to replace yourself. There are people that are actually craving your life. You, if you really sit down and, and do a thorough um, thought on it, there are people that actually crave your life. Mm-hmm. They're looking like, what are, you, what are you about this life that you want? And you give it to you free of charge. Mm-hmm. But there are people looking up to you and yeah. saying, you know what, if only I can just have this life, I think I'll be fine. And, and so it's important we let you embrace our life. That's what, why it can take me to another question. Now, a lot of young people are actually stalled at this point. They ask themselves, okay, I've messed up, I've made a mistake. What's your view about mistakes? And how does it define a young person's journey? You've made a mistake, you messed up at some point, you know, the journey just, just looks as if, you know, you're just, um, you're just stuck. How do you get out of it? How are you able to move on from that point? <laughs> mistakes. Um, one of my mentors, like she, she always says to me, she says, mistakes make us. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I think I didn't really like it, but she still says it till today. Uh, you know, our uh, mistakes, they make us. And I'm like, oh, do I have to make the mistake? People already made it. Can't I just learn from them? Nobody can ever work life without making their own personal mistakes. Yes, you learn from other people, but you have to make your mistakes. It might not be mm. deliberate, but at some time, you have to just, you have to try something to, to, to ensure, to try and do it. And even if you fail, you know, as well as that, you know, I failed and move on. And then, so young, young people, you know, would say when I was younger, um, I used to say that running from home was a huge mistake, you know, because I, when I ended up on the street, I didn't like it. It wasn't comfortable. Um, it was very difficult, <laughs> you know, to feed, you know, to care for myself. Uh, it was very difficult for me. So it was a huge mistake. I would say that it was a huge mistake. But, you know, sometimes, you know, when you now grow up, you now realize that that mistake was actually a could be better, you know. So, um, and the lessons that I learned on the streets, you can't take that away from me. You know, you can't take that away from me. When I was brought up, I was a bit shielded. You know, when I was growing up, my my father wanted to stay with barricades and all the school. When I was on the streets, I really became I became harder than I. You know, I would have to learn very fast. I have to, and so I'm very. I'm a fast learner, so it's easy for me to pick up on the street. So I picked up very fast. So that could have been said to be a mistake. But I think that the detour that, that led me here, you know, to this very moment uh, where, where, where I'm here, that mistake, you know, I know I made a mistake. I, I ended up on the street. And because of that, I'm going to go. In. Even though I knew that I, leaving home was a bad idea. You know, I told myself that I'm going to be on the street. I'm going to be a good good street girl. <laughs> I don't know what I meant. But oh. I, I was going to be a young lady on the street that was a good girl. So it wasn't difficult when people started calling me Jesus girl, you know, on the street. And I realized that, yeah, I think I'm doing something good here. <laughs> Even though I, being here is wrong. I'm not supposed to be here, you know. But I knew that I was going to make the best of it. Like devotion when I was on the street with commercial sex workers, with drug addicts, Yahoo boys. I did devotion with them. Because I wanted to make sure that that thing that was, I seem to have made a mistake on is not something better for me. And put on that mistake for so long because a few years after I attempted suicide, you know, but I didn't even know that I was depressed. 
So that mistake, you know, that I didn't mm-hmm. deal with, but of course, I'm glad I didn't deal with it. But I didn't deal on it for too long. But a few years after, I realized that I hadn't dealt with it. So I quickly dealt with it. I realized that you've made a mistake. You've got you out of the street. You're fine now. You're okay now. You know, you're about to go into university. You, you can't take this, you know, you can't take your life right now. So I have to quickly deal with it. So I'm glad I didn't linger for too long because it would have been a different story entirely. Sometimes the mistake that we make, if we don't deal with it very quickly and learn from our lessons and just move on, we might carry the the anger and the thing that we've done is very bad. Oh, God can't forgive me or stuff like that. So if you made a mistake, it doesn't matter what the mistake is. You slept with someone, you've had an abortion, you live on the street, you've left your home. And whatever it is that you've done, there's nothing that God cannot forgive. Just learn from that lesson and say, how can I, what can I do now going forward, you know, that would, would, be, that would make me a better person? Or how can I use this whole mess? You know, to make something glorious out of that. Can I begin to teach other people steps that they can so now you can even give half five steps to leaving the street. I can give you half. You yeah. buy yourself on the street. These are five steps getting out of the street. You know, this is what that's like I can't even do that right now because I have like a template. Instead of dwelling on your mistake as a young person, even an older person, people make mistakes even in their old age. You know, learn from it. Find out what can I learn from this experience. You know, and what how can I teach others from this experience? Then just move on from it because as long as just are forgiving you, that mistake doesn't exist. You know, so just do it and move on and learn from it. And that's what I would say because if I didn't move on quickly, maybe I would have attempted a second suicide. Maybe it would have been a suicide, not even attempt right now. You know, yeah, this time. So. learn from your mistake and move on. Don't dwell on it. That's so important. Because you make a mistake, it doesn't define your life. It doesn't, don't be focused on your mistake. Get out of it. Deal with it. And, and I love that you mentioned that. You made a mistake. You felt as, as though you had actually moved up. But you had not actually dealt with it. You were still carrying that baggage. Only for you to realize, wow, this thing is there. I need to address it. So there's a lot of times where we need to really sit down. This thing that happened to me, how have I been able to deal with it? Have I actually dealt with it? And, you know, it, it's always good the thing is dealt with because it's later on that you realize that, oh, I thought I've moved on, but this thing is still affecting, it's still coloring my life. So it's important we learn from that and actually move on. You know, and you said something important, no matter how big the mistake is, God will forgive. And if he has forgiven you, let it go. You know, there's a times when you feel you've done so bad, and God said, I'm forgiving you, but to forgive yourself is an issue. So let you, mm-hmm. once you ask God to forgive you, forgive yourself and actually move And look at it. How yeah. do I bless others? So you know, scripture readily comes to mind. It says, the same comfort in which you're being comforted, that people. you think you have to go through. Don't make other people actually go through it. So, like you said, look at it. What are ways you can help other people overcome this issue that you've been able to come mm-hmm. out? How yeah. do you help other people navigate their own journey in such a way that they don't follow the same road or go down the same road you went? So those things are important. Yeah. And those are the things, as you said, mistakes make up. That's how the mistake will make you as a person. Beautiful, man. Now take me to our next question. Now we live in a world where there's so much moral decadence. You, you look at, you know, you mentioned the fact that yeah. you were on the street and you saw how young people were, you, you know, were doing drugs, doing prostitution and all that. Yeah. Now, we live in a society where young people are so easily carried away by peer pressure and especially with the media. They see things on the TV and they just want to be the hook line and thinker. They, they look on the TV, they look at the social media, and they see people flout lifestyles that are not necessarily true and real. And they mm-hmm. want to just be like that. So that we, we realize yeah. that there's a prevalent 
moral decadence in our society today. Good moral seems to have mm-hmm. taken the back seat. And I think people celebrating. You know, somebody, a, a lady wrote an article recently on Facebook, and she was she was talking about the fact that she went out well dressed as a young lady. Another lady walked into the same room, half naked, and the, a guy that was there said to to her that, ah, madam, so why did you not cover up like this? That you've used all the materials in the market to to get a dress on, you know, making her feel bad because somebody else walked into the world looking at me. So that's the kind of society our young people are actually live today, where wrong morals are celebrated and looks like if you're a good girl, you're not part of that. You're just dulling yourself. Just give us a breakdown on some moral values that you believe young people should adhere to. You know, you've spoken a bit about your life, how that you were in the streets, but you were not off the streets. You made a mistake, you were there, but you were like, okay, no, I'm not going to follow the trend in the street. I'm going to try and bring a change to what's happening here. What kept you from mingling with the people on the street? What stood you out of the past? Okay, so the first thing I like to say when I talk about morals is there's morals. I think there's culture, right? And what you see as morality in our culture might not be excused in another culture. I'll give an example. So I walk into a church, you know, in America. A lady walks into church and she's wearing a shirt, a bum shirt, like legit. <laughs> and her brother was wearing ripped jeans, you know, and he armless top, you know, and he was just had tattoos and he walked in. That's a firebrand stand. Do you understand? Like, I know them walking to church. My first instinct at that time, right, is to say, this, this, because culturally, where I'm from, right, morality has been defined as a certain way. But they, for them, that's, that's their culture. It's okay, you know, it's cultural. However, as Christians, you know, as I like to address, Christians, um, I could have won this talk without the arm, because it's a full talk, and I'm not like I'm cold or anything, right? But it's just how I just want to, I just want to dress up today, you know. As 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 a Christian, I realized I know that even though my culture agrees, accepted. What does the Bible say about it? Even though my culture, even if I'm living in America, for instance, my culture agrees I can wear a bomb shot to church and I'm picking in tongues and I'm moving around and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm shattering the earth. What does the way I'm dressed, what will you do to somebody else? Will you make the person fall? If he does, what I'm doing in vain, right? Because then I'm causing more harm oh. than I'm actually doing, you know? So, and really and truly, that bomb shot can actually make someone fall. So, would I want to do that? And still want to speak in tongues. And the thing about being Christian, that's, I'm coming from a Christian perspective, that if the Holy Spirit has, has dealt with you on the inside, it will come on the outside. You will know from the outside uh, that this is not right, even if it's culturally accepted, you know? Even though it's cultural uh, difference in the way that you want to comport yourself or project yourself because of Christ, the Christ in you, you know? So even the person was speaking in tongues and breaking and the firebrand family, there's still work that the Holy Spirit still has to do. That's what I see, to get the person. Uh, because there are other people that are also like that not dressing the same way in the same culture, the same America. Yeah. You understand? So I to judge with culture when I want to talk about morality because the way I was brought up, I was brought up to cover up. The reason why I wear jeans till today, even though I was brought up, in the, my father believed that before a man would rape you, would have tried very hard to unzip your jeans. So jeans is better than skirt. That's my father's perspective. You know, so that's the reason why even though my mom never liked it, my our pastors I grew up in Equa, nobody liked it. I was the only young person, even as a teenager, a little girl that always wore jeans. And that was my dad's what was the call, stand on it. And no one could stop him. And so I didn't wear jeans growing up because it was cool. No. Because my father felt he will protect me if the enemy ever comes. So I had more I never had mini skirts. You cannot catch me. My father always said that once I wear Nairobi, a guy will just be a rape. You know, just the way he feels about it. Like it's sweet. 
exposed. You can't do that. So a jeans will hold you very quickly. So my father had that, you know, notion from that. So a lot of young people, you know, see westernization, you know, and they just want to accept everything that they do. They forget that beyond our culture of not accepting this whole being naked style, different from culture. It is not about culture. It's not about your family. It's about the family of the God that you serve. It's different kind of family. So even if your family is acceptable to wear miniskirt and tie and wear skimpy top, but the Christ inside of you, a family that you have been born into, the born again family, there's a different family that they are not that kind of people. Uh, that so if and I always like to say that if I bring a bunch of young people who are born again, they are speaking in tongues, they are breaking, you know, and I leave them all wearing short miniskirt boots open and I put them together. And I bring a bunch of just who don't know God or guys at all, all dressed modestly, all covered one side. If I say to you that I don't know who here knows God, you will not pick the ones in a way that you dress, you know. And I recently had a conversation, just like you mentioned about this thing with a bunch of young people. I showed them a clip. And the video clip was a video clip of Beyonce when she was talking to Miguel, Yamako. Held her, her dress together. Her dress that had a slit so high. Yeah. And I caught up that clip and I showed the young people. I said, do you know why she held this? She was in front of royalty. She oh. knew that that was the ins- that, that means there was something inside of her that distinctly that showed her that you have to hold it together. This thing is oh. so open. But as soon as she left where Miguel was, she let it down, right? It means that Sopa told her that it was instinct. So if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, it will tell you that it is wrong. So about dressing and all that, I, and I always like to tell young ladies, I've been that question of that example that you gave. Where someone said to me, you're always covering up. What are you hiding? When we know your mates are always saying, I've been that position. And I remember very well. I was 17 years old when I had, when I had that encounter. That guy told me that. And I said to him, and I'll never forget. I said, I would rather hold something to you that will hold you for a lifetime and get to me than expose my body to you that will only give you pleasure for a few minutes. Because you just be like, ooh, this babe, that's it. But when I engage you in a conversation, you constantly remember me for the rest of your life. You make a reference to that girl that you met that is so intelligent, that, but you not make, make reference to that if that was half-dressed naked. So oh, I rather have, have your attention for the, the rest of my life where you can make reference to me about something that I did that makes sense than because I make reference to me or get your attention with the way I'm dressed that you cannot make reference to it later. You know, so I remember I was seventeen when I said that and I, I held on to that and, and that's how I carry myself even to places. I want a, to have a conversation when I was dating, when I was single. I don't want to attract it to me because I have boobs. I, I, you will never catch with cleavage or bomb or anything open. It's not possible. You know, I would, I rather not. I rather have conversations with you that you keep mentioning, keep talking about and say, ah, around Raquel, we talked about this and that and you make reference to it other than that. I'm not interested in anything else. So, in a lot of young people, especially women, need to know that, you know, when the Holy Spirit is out of you, that thing that's supposed to be instinct that tells an unbeliever that she should cover when she was in front of Megan, right? Mm-hmm. It's the Holy Spirit that will tell you you need to cover up the body. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit when you have to go out of your house. Or even when you are home, you just sense of not just exposing the things that the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, so my daughter has a, a song that she listens to, and it's a it's song. And they were telling them that if they are going to see the queen, don't wear short pants. Like, it was funny. Did you hear that thing? Like, you just, I need to get that song. They're saying that they're in London, so going to the Queen, don't wear short pants. And I'm like, wow. So you're going to see the Queen. And what if you are royalty? Why are you not wearing it? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So it was a children's song. <laughs> a children's song. But it was like, I, I want my dad to listen to this song, you know? Going to see the Queen. But then I want to remember that like, you are Queen. Don't wear that, you know? The yeah. Queen would never dress like that. You know, a mm-hmm. King would never dress like that. You know, so how do you see us? How do you see yourself? Like I said, I'm thinking about a new family now. You know, not your family that you're born into. The family that you're born again into. The family that you came from into this family and then you're born back into, right? That family, how you see yourself in that family determines how you want to dress out. So that's why on the street, any of your questions, which I don't want to take too long, I think I've spoken for too long, 
right? Um, on the street, I knew who I carried. It was not a question of, it wasn't a question. It wasn't debatable. I knew who I was. I still knew who I am. So when people say to me on the streets, use what you have to get what you want, I didn't on naive. I just, I think about skills that I could do to help me get out of here. You know, mm-hmm. I knew that I was beyond that. It wasn't about them. I was thinking about things. In fact, I didn't even want to say, oh, what if I just joined them? No, it wasn't debatable. I didn't think that I wanted to. In fact, it wasn't because of the foundation and I knew who I was. So you have to know who you are first and yeah. who you are. I think that was- so your identity, so don't get caught up. Wow, I, I, I love this because this speaks to your identity. Don't get caught up in, in the mixture. Don't, don't get confused about who you are. Be certain and be sure about who you are. If you are a king, you behave like If you are a queen, you behave like one. So when you look at other people, you should look for yeah. royalty models. If you don't want to be a pauper, don't behave like one. If you want to be a king, then you model a king. If you want to be a queen, you model a queen. Awesome. I believe our young people are actually gaining wisdom from all this. And because it's important that you know who you are. Who you have will determine where you get to. When you know who you are, see what, what she, she was saying about her story. Even though she was in the street, she knew who she carried, she knew who she was. That it's not about these things. I'm seeing bigger pictures. I'm seeing a greater picture. I'm, I'm seeing myself bigger than this space. And it's important. Always have that in your consci- your consciousness. Always remember who you are and where you're going. Yeah. When that picture yeah. is bigger than the space you're in, you won't give it. Awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, ma. I've learned a lot from that. And that's going to lead me to the other part of that question. It's similar, but in a different way. Now, there's a lot of craze about money. People want to just make it. They want to hammer. They want to blow. You see yeah. young guys, young ladies. They don't care what it takes to make it happen. They just want to have, be there. They want to be part of the 30 billion gang, the 100 billion gang, anything for the money. What do you say about yeah. the quick armor scheme of the, that mindset? How can you address that mindset among your people? It'd be very difficult to address it um, because even in church, because I, my mm-hmm. view is a Christian platform. So even in church, you know, you hear a lot of give and go, we give, give you, and it's just like you trade by back, I give, go and go, we give you kind of thing. So mm-hmm. there's less of God's king, righteousness, and all of that things added onto you. There's less of that. And more of give and it shall be given unto you, you know, good measures, friends are shaking together, and when over shall men give onto your platform. Mm-hmm. And so everyone says, hallelujah, and then you give money because you're waiting for God to give you. And then you're saying, oh, but I've given so much, how come you're not giving me? So we also have that in church. It makes it very difficult because those people, young people that see it in church, go outside and they hear, you have to use your gifts and your talents and everything. Finding your spiritual gifts now, you're monetizing it, you know? Like you're not supposed to monetize that because everybody wants to make me. And then because people are chasing, like my pastor called people are chasing paper, right? When we start to teach people to seek his chasing purpose, because God's kingdom is our purpose. Chasing his kingdom, seeking his kingdom. That is our purpose here on earth to populate that kingdom and depopulate the kingdom of darkness. If we are taught more of that even in church, you wouldn't have to do much work with the young people yeah. Christians that we have in secular world mm. because that has been so they already achieved this purpose when they are young they're taught to chase purpose not paper to, to be able to do that from home, home the parents that's that with the parents 
The parents the parents need to do a lot of work. A lot of things pass. Almost every slicer dictator has some family, somewhere, one family shot. Either somebody didn't do a job or somebody did a bad job. So mm-hmm. parents need to do do more. Parents need to do more. And this is the part where when I say people don't want to listen to me, or they listen to me if you must be mad. And I say mothers need to do more. Sorry, women just had to say mothers need to mm-hmm. do more. Because biologically you are created to be the nurturer. You, even though the father is your responsibility with the father to bring up a child, there's someone who's biologically was designed not just to birth but to nurture that child. You know, so if you're designed because of how you were made to carry you nurture. So a lot of women are chasing career, are chasing money. Also, they leave, they leave their children to whatever. And so the children grew up seeing their mothers chasing money. And the children now grow up, so they want to make that money also so they're chasing. Now, how can we get them, you know, out of this mess that we're in? And the best way to do that for the generation is to start from home. But you see, this generation that we have behind us, we have to do better. We have to be able to be, con- we have to be content with the little that we have, with mm. the little that we have. Women not chasing so much, getting power. Somebody saying, somebody, even if it means parents alternating career ladders at some point, the mother has to take a, a step back sometimes to care for the kids and be there for the family. The father yeah. will take, you know, switch in and out. Even though we have to do that, we should start begin to show their children balance from when the kids are young. So the next mm-hmm. generation will understand balance, contentment, and not, start, mm-hmm. and not chase money. Yeah. Because if we want to solve the problem now, it's a hard journey. It's a hard because most people right now, they've been programmed to monetize their talent, monetize their skills, and monetize their spiritual gifts, including that one too. So because everyone wants to make money, wants to be comfortable, and people are flaunting lifestyle on the ground, means that you're not living a good lifestyle, or you're suffering. And mm-hmm. Because of technology, it makes, it makes it easy to see how other people are living across the globe. And yeah. so you want to have that. But if you build con- children that are content from when they are young, it doesn't matter what technology. Because what we have right now is not technology. I just coming ahead. AI mm-hmm. is mad. You know what's coming? Do you understand? So the, the future is not even AI. It's even beyond AI. There's more to come. So imagine that generation where they might just even just close their eyes and then they wake up in another, in another country. How can we build contentment now to this generation? And I say that, and I, do think, and I, I say it very, very lightly and very carefully that to say that, and a lot of people wouldn't want to believe me. When I say that, the reason why I'm a stay-at-home mom is because I've decided, even when I was single, that I'm not going to live that lifestyle that is chasing money. That if all we can afford, right, is to eat three square meals or two square meals a day, and there's peace mm. in my house, I am fine, right? And so, yeah. what a lot of, yeah, fine, as long as I'm able to, a lot of people why your daughter not in school? She's just two. I don't want her to go to school. She's able to talk to me, <laughs> you know? And so they said, take her to school. She's three months old. No, I'm sorry, I won't. And I, if you're a mom and you're, you are taking your baby to school, just in school at three months, that is your own path. I don't want that path for myself. Because what I told my daughter as I preach is that I'm chasing a career over her. I'm chasing money over her. So that already has created a foundation for my family already, uh, for my children. That means that I'll constantly put work, constantly put career, constantly put that, you know, becoming what the world, you know, when people say God has created me to be more than just a mother, that's a blunder. It's a blunder. Uh, God has give, give, created me to be more than just giving birth. Let's stop it, you know. It is a great honor to have children. It's good to have make money yeah. to sustain them, but they are not your own in the first place, right? Uh-huh. So I think that even I'm joining my family, right, because that is actually the foundation of all these things. Yeah. It's the foundation of all that. Every society you know, when we, family. Yes, exactly. So if we still want to call do a youth conference and break it down, have, we are just talking ourselves. It's not restructured. If we don't have women that begin to say, what can I do from home? Or how can I, you know, slow down on this career to, you know, for these children at this time, they're so young. And my husband is okay, fine, it's your turn. You go to school. Oh, it's my turn. I'm going to school. There's a plan. There's a family plan and a family dynamic that works. 
If people don't sit down to design that for family, for the sake of the generation, because of the generation they are carrying, every family has a generation in their home. The generation yeah. of Senulu house, I don't know them. I don't know who her husband is. I don't know who her grandchildren are, are going to be. But from now, I wait, I'm praying for it. Whoever family God has raised, that God are raising the son that will marry my daughter, they're already in our prayer world. That God will make them yeah. be content and raise him in the way that when both of them marry, they are having a different kind of family for what society is. So these are the kind of things that families need to be doing now. So if he's asking me to tell you what we can do to solve now and chasing money and hammer and doing MMM and trying to get rich now, no, 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 no. It is something that is very difficult to solve. But guess what? We can do that for the generation that is coming. Coming. That mm. are aware. Begin yeah. to take steps that will help. And I'm going to say this, and I said that a couple of times. I said that to singles platform. A lot of young men, they don't, when I said that they don't want to listen to me and they think I'm crazy. When my husband and I, his salary was not 200000 And so people can say, hey. and I see a lot of young men who say to me, oh, I can't get married on that salary. It won't sustain my family. Who says it won't? The reason it won't sustain your lifestyle, the lifestyle that you are trying to have. That's, that's what it won't sustain. Because you're trying to put a lifestyle that you won't be able to sustain. That salary can sustain. That salary sustained us. Two of us were two. We're just two. So what are we looking for? Right? And then we became three. And what we realized is that every time the salary or whatever that we earn has to sustain the life that we have, not the life that we want to have. No. Uh-huh. And that's where the problem is. So because you want to have the lifestyle that you want to have, the mother and the father have to all work in banks and whatever it is. And the children have to be dropped off in the, in the crutch. Uh-huh. Yeah, whatever it is. And, you know, they, they can't talk back at you because my daughter is two. She can't even tell me much. We just have mama, mama, mama conversation, right? Like, mommy, what is it? All those things. But if one first time the crush, she can't tell me. So I can't drop her there yet until she can talk to me, right? But a lot of people don't understand that it's a sacrifice that you have to make for this generation so that they, they still come home. All this get yeah. rich or die trying kind of attitude or hustle mentality, they will begin to wear off gradually with the next generation. But our generation has to take the step to help the next generation because we this got for us to get out of it. Because constantly on your Instagram, you're seeing people post um, something printing money, ganga, all those gangs, and you want to join them because they're spending so much money, right? So it's very, yeah. very difficult. We want to have a lifestyle that we want to, we can't afford. And because of that, we'll do everything to ensure. And I'll give an, an, a last instance. I have a friend who, when I was single, she was living in Lekki. She was married. And I'm bad. That's my salary was 700000 700000 I was still single. She was earning a lot of money. She was married and her husband. Had, and then she put her child in a very expensive school. A small child. Because boy was very, was very small. like one. And so she keeps saying that she doesn't have money. I said, how come you don't have money? You earn a lot. And she keeps saying, eh, but this could be, I pay her friends. I said, well, why do you have to be there? Why do you have to put him in that school? Why do you have to buy that car? You're Feel the feel you are buying the month the lot. And she says, but she has to be comfortable. But you're not comfortable on the inside because you're struggling constantly. Mm. And I must say to her, if you just take a step back and move to Bagada in Lagos, from mm. Lagos, I'm sorry, but just leave the island. Leave Lekki for, for once. Just move to Bagada. You just find an apartment in Yaba or Bagada. Bagada is just by the bridge. You cannot see the Milan Bridge and come to work, right? Yeah. Get a good school for your child and reprioritize your family. You know, she, they got a better apartment, way better than their apartment for half the price in Bagada. Move her, her son to a, a school, move their church, everything, that ask Bagada. And I can say categorically, she's my very close friend right now. She says to me, that advice changed her life because she was living a life that she wanted to have. And so she was struggling so much. And then, so I told you she was any 700K, right? Uh-huh. She got a job. She got a job in Yaba for 500,000. So I said, see, Yaba is easier for better than third million to traffic every morning. But I started calculating she realized that she was a fool for almost under that job. So she took that 500K job and she said it was one of the best decisions of her life because that's 200K 
a drop only has increased her life span and happiness. Oh. Thing is, a lot of time we're looking for the money, we're chasing, and then we're forgetting happiness and contentment. So let me not go too much. I think I'm going too far, right? Too much already. Right? That's why I already feel like this lady is crazy. But there's a lot of wisdom in that. You know, the fact that we say your parents can give a lot of joy because we seem to understand that everybody that we see in our society today is a product of the family. All our politicians yeah. were born into a family. All the representatives yeah. that were complaining about, that were screaming about, that making life difficult for other citizens, they were born into a family. Imagine yeah. what they were modeled to was actually how to care for people to be selfless, to be to yeah. be considerate of other people would have had it different today. Yeah. So there's a different lot of yeah. work parents have to do. And, and like you said, yeah. before we deliver ourselves over our own generation, then it's time to actually plunge the work into the next generation. What are we modeling to them? What are we showing them? Are we speaking mm-hmm. to the new parents that are emerging? How are they parenting? Mm-hmm. What are they showing their, their children? What kind of life are they modeling to them? Are they saying to them, see, get money first, every other thing will follow. Or they're saying to them, learn to honor family, learn to celebrate and love your family, learn to be contented like you said, learn mm-hmm. to understand that the little things of life matter and celebrate it. Yeah. Or it's, it's about a vacation to US, it's about the, until you go to for <laughs> a vacation outside the country, you are not yeah. okay, until you do this, setting that unnecessary standard for yeah. ourselves and actually robbing ourselves of the contentment and joy that our life joy. has. How has education mm-hmm. shaped your life? And what has education done for you? Um, education has shaped my life. Of course, you know, I went to school, but I remember mean, my dad, you know, mm. bringing me books from when he was oddly for uh, some rich guy. I can't remember. I know I saw the mask picture. The man used to look like Oliver the Cook. <laughs> those days, those days, that was my dad. And my dad really, he really loved my dad. So he used to give my dad a lot of things for us, you know, even the students use clothes, you know, some still had tags on them, you know, and all those days. He used to have wear designer clothes from, use clothes from his kids. So he really loved my dad. And so we got most of our books, you know, growing up storybooks from this man and which is something my dad was very passionate about education going to school but what I've really realized right now growing up is that education goes beyond the walls of the classroom education mm. and schooling are two different things what I wanted was not just an education I wanted to go to school <laughs> I wanted a higher mm. I wanted to get a higher education higher school because you can actually get an education without stepping into the world of a classroom people love like educated from home have homeschooled mm. and all that so or I just they learn through life or learn through books so education should not be restricted to just what you learn in school. You know, women should learn to, and even men, you know, young people should learn. They should learn to pronounce words. Learn to pronounce. Sometimes I speak to pronounce words. <laughs> I just speak for like an hour, and I'm learning to pronounce some difficult words that I don't know how to. I remember that I was, I was talking to my husband a couple of weeks ago, and I said, someone said, oh, my mouth is cleaning me, and I have, my husband said, can you just not do that? I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't not do it. Just, I can't. I can't not. So I just said, yeah, she's learning. I she's going to say mouth tomorrow. <laughs> and he says, oh, that's true. <laughs> You know, so I think, and that's education for her, but because that's because she's not in school, and so you're learning, you're learning from home, you're learning from so education is um, schooling, and it's very important. It helps my life. I am still learning. I'm, I still enroll in the school, some school thing last, and I'm supposed to start classes 28th of this month. So education is good. It helps you, makes you, it opens your mind, helps you know more about the world, helps you know about other people. It just, it just makes you better, able to contribute to conversations. Um, that maybe probably not in your field of study, but of course because you've read about it, you know about it, you've studied it, you will know. 
and the Bible also says study to show thyself approved. So you, education is good. You have to study to know. Another form of education I've noticed, and I think I don't know why a lot of parenting is coming to heart. Um, that I see a lot of online education for children. So because my daughter doesn't go to school, she has a lot of coloring, a lot of story books and stuff like that. She uses at home. So when she was younger, to keep her from from being fast, I gave her YouTube. And so I realized one day my daughter stood up and took my nail polish as she was trying to paint her nails, and she didn't see me do that because I haven't painted my nails in years. And so I realized that she was watching it on on, the, on her YouTube kids. So they just presented me. Is that what you want her to be learning? <laughs> you know, you know that's an education. She's been educated by YouTube. And then I thought, oh my god, you know, I I know that it is YouTube is cool songs and whatever, but I didn't see it from the perspective of education. Like it means that she's been schooled and been educated on YouTube. And then I I cut off YouTube on her tab. Two years old, and she knows that YouTube is not there anymore because she's had YouTube since she was maybe nine months. So she knows what YouTube is. She knows the icon, you know, and all that. So she looked for the icon. She didn't see, and she started to know the first one, mommy, mommy. Tab, tab, and she did that. She can't find her YouTube. So she took my phone and she found, and she started using YouTube on my phone. So I had to delete my own phone, delete on her dad. So you see, what Holy Spirit now shows me about education is that I've been educating her with that YouTube. So now she picks my stuff, everything she wants to use her food and, and paint the wall of the house because she sees the kids do that. And the kids are writing on a, on a board. There are five on YouTube, writing on a whiteboard. But the wall of the house feels like a board to her. So because they are schooling her. So the thing, what I'm trying to say with these things is that education is very important. So it's what you, what Everything we do is education. This class yeah. we're in right now is an educa- we've been educated. I've learned a lot from what you've been saying, you know. Um, um, you, I know you brought me so I can share my stories. People can also learn from me. So we're educating ourselves and we're learning. We're all learning together. Yeah. So don't just allow passive education. You have to be deliberate. You have to be deliberate about getting an education. Don't just be passive about it. Be actively engaged in learning. Is that what you need to do? If I want to watch a series, for instance, I know that it's five seasons. I talk with how many hours of my life is this? <laughs> I can't, I can't do that, you know. And you know, so I think, okay, what can I do? I'll just probably just read about the story, how the story is on a wiki or so, or rotten tomato, and just move on. <laughs> so you have to be deliberate about, you know. I'm not saying I don't do Netflix. So I, I do. I watch some some TV shows. I do. But I'm saying that by the time I complete the hours, ask myself, what am I going to learn from watching part of of this TV show? So you have to be deliberate about as a young person, even old person, deliberate about the things that you're doing. And and I, I want to end by saying that when I took up my daughter's YouTube kids and I gave her some other um, things like fruits and vegetables, stuff like that, you know, her, her ABC became clearer in less than a week. And she she was able to say her ABC to Z in it. Well, I say Z, she always says more Z. When I say Z, she's like, Z. Like, she doesn't want to say Z, of course, you know. But her ABC to Z in Chinese words has, has especially changed. Now she's moved from 1 to 10, where it's doing 11 to 20, you know, and she's just two. I know that she's actually the fresh two because she turned two in December, you know, so you can see that she even knows all the, all the you put grapes, you know, apple, pictures of it, she'll click the right one. You know, mango, she'll click on it. She, she knows them by picture. When I go to the kitchen now, she sees the fruit on, she points the mango, she points the pineapple. She says, pineapple, pineapple. And that's because YouTube kids left. So I have to be de- more deliberate. So even if I was a deliberate mom, I have to be more deliberate about teaching. So in different ways, I'm serious about teaching my, my daughter that is just two. I'm serious about teaching my husband also, you know, and I'm also serious about teaching myself. So, and that you know, my husband will not revolt because he knows that as much as I try to correct them, both them at home, I ensure that I spend some time also developing myself. So he sees me doing pronunciation, doing spelling games. You know, I still love time with spelling games, science or puzzles, trying to just learn my spellings and stuff like that. Like I'm waiting for a spelling bee come you surprise. You know, <laughs> learning synonyms, asking okay. homophones. See me learning them like a baby. But I'm learning them because of I just need to keep myself fresh on those things. And so when I'm doing that, I am sure that my daughter sees me and I'm actively yeah. doing it for me so that she can see me doing that. So family, like I said, family is very important in all these things. On all that we're discussing today, I think family is 
the bedrock of all our oh, conversation today. Yeah. Education, everything can be taught from family. So parents should model to their children what education is from home. Mm, mm. Model education, yes. Education beyond the classroom. She, she, she's an advocate of that. Now, education is about teaching and learning. Yes. Every day you go out, somebody teaching you something, you're learning something. Education is happening. So let's not be so boxed, but be deliberate. That's so important. And you know, you know, see how she was sharing with us how she was deliberate about our two-year-old. So as an adult, as a young person, what are you learning? Be deliberate about it. Be deliberate. Be deliberate about the kind of family you're building. Be deliberate about the things you're learning as a individual and what you're shaping yourself into. Because whether we like it or not, every day as we go out on a daily basis, our environment is educating us. So when you put yourself in a space constantly, like she said, you know, when she wants to go Netflix in and she tells herself five seasons of this movie, see how many hours. And whether I like it or not, it looks like free time, but it's my time. And I'm giving myself, I'm subjecting myself to the school of that movie for five seasons. So does it worth it? Is it worth my time? Is it worth my, my learning experience? So those are the questions we need to start asking ourselves. And being educated has to do with a deliberate effort. So if you need to be educated around project management, be deliberate about it. Go in for a course on it. Go and find out how to make that happen. So be deliberate. Things will not just fall on you. Now, see how fluently she's speaking and pronouncing her words. Now, she told us that she had been doing that spelling exercise, spelling game. No wonder. And you just said, wow, I just love the way Rachel speaks. Wow, I just want to be speaking like her. And you're not subjecting yourself to what she It won't fall on you. You have to be deliberate. You have to be deliberate. That's so important. I've personally been so blessed with that. Now, to wrap up, this is our last question. Can you just share with us some of the lessons that you've learned, the things that you've experienced, the people you've met? What are the important lessons that you have learned? On your journey. Your meals. I, I didn't know. I just I said I said the first one before, which is um we all have life. We all are given life, and we're all are given life at different years, mm. like a box. And Saladrote likes to say that when you are born, life life starts to count down. So you are born with the full age that God has called you. So if, when you are born, you are not born at year one year old. You are born at let's say Jesus was born at thirty three. So Jesus was born. He was given thirty three years at birth. So what happens is that every single day the countdown to the day you die. And for me, it was a profound way of saying it because I started to, you know, that's the lesson that I've, I learned from him and I, it has completely changed. So I don't say I'm X, Y, Z years old. I said, how many years ago do I have left here? Mm. You know, teach me to follow my days, my countdown. My teach me to know that this is coming. That all mm. of that's, that's in mind. And that's what I, all the things I've learned in this life that's been profound. That is a countdown for me. So if I was programmed to die at 40, how many years do I have? You know, mm. and I, I still have the first thing. So that's the first thing I was learned. I learned that. I learned to be fearless. You know, I make decisions and I'm Fearless, and I just, I just attack my goals. I like learn to be fearless and attack your goals. You have to be brave. I think they're all the same, the same thing. You need to be brave. You have to be courageous. You know, those things are very, you know, in this life. Because I think that what I did when I was young, when I was 16, was courage. Courage to pursue my dreams. You know, I was, I was brave to say, you know, I don't know what's going to happen out there. Talk to me on the street, but I'm going to take this step, even though it was, it was, like I said, it wasn't a good decision. But I think that it taught me a lot of things about being, doing things 
afraid, you know, even though I'm scared, I'm scared afraid, just doing it regardless, you know. So, and your life, that the life that you have, nobody's been, nobody's responsible for your life. You know, when you mentioned about um your family, right? About yeah. and, I, and I wanted to also, like, can't blame your family for the life that you don't have or the life that you have because you're responsible for your life. You can't, you can't blame your family. Oh, if my friend did a good job. Well, we had a story of two boys who were brought up by the same father. One of them smokes two months and it's, you know, just, just like his dad. And when he was asked, why did you turn out like he said, my dad was just like this. They're like, no wonder, like father, like son. And his other brother was the opposite. And they say, why are you so different from your family? He said, I saw what I didn't want. My father modeled what I didn't want. So you can't blame anybody. It's in your hands. The, the other son could actually be, could have been different from his dad. He decided to be like his dad. So it's a decision. Everything you do in your life is a decision. It's, every your life is a form of your decision. Your, not someone else's decision. Your decision. So you're saying, I mean, I think this Raquel, yes, you, your decision. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I'm only here because of my decision to get want to go to school and get an education. That's why I'm sitting right here with you. The life that I have is a sum of the decision that I made years ago, you know. And so you have to be able to take responsibility for your own life. So one of the lessons I've learned is that you need mentors. You can't do it alone. Sometimes it's going to get hard. So you need people who would mentor. And your mentors can be your friends. You don't have to be people that. Because there's so many friends I have that are actually full of wisdom, full of wisdom. So lean on them and learn from other people. And education also is beyond just learning. Education has a lot to do with unlearning. There's so much that I know that I will learn. That I realize that I don't, this is the, this is like so 1980, I can't drop it off, you know, so I was like, ah, oh, no, I don't need this, you know, and that's what education does to you. If you are aware, you become aware that you need to unlearn certain things and give room to learn new things, you know, you are flexible. Education learned that it's beyond just what you are learning. So you're not just learning and learning and learning. You also learn to learn. Wow, awesome. Education is not just about learning, it's also about the learning. It's important we understand this and you are responsible for your life. Life is about learning, you know, learning and unlearning. Unlearning is a part of learning life that I learned along the way. And a lot of people don't teach, you know, even their children, you know, unlearn oh. some certain So there's something I want, I want to make an example of unlearning. I taught my daughter to say Cairo, you know, and kneel down, right? When she was about one. So when she wakes up in the morning, she kneels down and she says a Cairo, like she says it, but she won't say a Cairo, of course, she won't say it very well because my husband is Yoruba. And so she learned that, you know, and then uh, when she sneezes, I say, oh, sorry, Rennie. And everyone else will say, God bless you. But I always say sorry. And so now she picked up the one that I always, because I'm always in front of her, I'm always with her. So she picked up sorry. When you sneeze now, she says, sorry, mommy. Sorry, daddy. Or sorry, she will touch you. And she's just like I touched her. And I just say, why is that she does yours? And she never says, God bless you, like also bless you or something. I say, because I'm constantly in her face. And now we're, oh, I'm trying to help her unlearn that start to say God bless you or something because she says sorry whenever anybody sneezes <laughs> sorry mommy or sorry daddy and it's so cute but it's, I don't want her to say sorry I want her to say God bless you or something so now I'm trying to help her unlearn it and it's very difficult guys she's just two but it's so hard it's been almost two months of trying but so oh. unlearning what I'm saying what the lesson here is that unlearning can be tedious it can be more difficult than even learning oh. so to learn that you pick some abs habits, some character, whatever it is that you pick up on the way or things that you pick up that you use, you might be able to drop it easily. So when I say online, you think it's just, just drop it. Mm-mm. It can be very hard. So you need to build toughness. You need to build toughness for unlearning some things that you've learned from home, from school, you know, and and it's going to be very difficult. It could be smoking, it could be humanizing, it could be anything that, you know, you're thinking of, or you're chewing your nails. I used to chew my fingernails a lot. It was tedious thing to unlearn that thing, that habit of chewing my nails. It was difficult. I still used to pick the, my nail polish out of my nail. When I, I fix the nail polish and I, and I 
take it out with my, my other nail. It was a bad habit. But to unlearn that was very difficult. So unlearning is sometimes can be more difficult. I wanted to say that before we go on. And it's, it's a very good part of life. So, okay. so learn to unlearn. You know, your your your, your education is not complete until certain unlearning certain things. There are some things that have just become a part of us that we just need to unlearn. So actually evolve into a new person. There are certain things you have to just unlearn. You know, you're used to it. It's become a, an habitual thing. But yeah. you can't get into your new space carrying that baggage with you. You just have to unlearn so that you can evolve. Awesome. It, it's been a beautiful morning sharing, you know, these conversations with you, Mrs. Raquel Daniel. It's been beautiful. We've learned a lot. We've spoken to certain things, especially, you know, around parenting that is, I must say, you know, you just blew my mind. Because, you know, going back, well, while I was just referring to yourself, and I realized that that line of thought has gradually been an issue that we've not been able to face at all. The issue around parenting. How the children were raised. Are we raising them to become model citizens, to become, if I were not, we're not even talking about that the world has gradually constructed that. You must know, the, the child you're raising, you're not raising that child to be national citizens. You're making, you're raising that child to become a global citizen. How, how would that yeah. child be able to fit into that global space? with the way you're parenting. Are you still parenting with a national outlook or with a global outlook? Are you, how are you parenting? Are you parenting a generation that are willing to stand, you know, in the midst of their peers and be unique, comfortable in their own skin? They're not trying to be somebody else. They're just comfortable and contented with who they are. So it calls for a lot of reflection, especially for our parents. It calls us for a lot of reflection. And for a young person, they also tell you this, that you have been given this life as, as a gift. I love the example you gave about counting that. But that's how actually impact and benefit comes about in our lives. Whether we know that you don't have that, you know that what you have is limited. You should be able to maximize it, make the best use of the moment that you've been given. It might not always be there. So it's so yeah. important. Recently, what was shared with me that based on the things that are happening recently because of the COVID, that those, those of us that have parents now let to treasure our parents more because we now see obituaries of people that have lost their dad or their mom or their heart or their household. And you just realize that, oh God, you've been so good to me. I still have mine alive. Okay, let me treasure them the, the, the more. And the same thing speaks of people actually losing their lives on a daily basis. So if you have your treasure, yeah. make, the, make the most of it. Make it memorable. L- let your life speak for more than mm-hmm. what it's speaking for right now. Thank you so, so much, Ma. We've had a Thank wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you so much for doing this with us on behalf of the Flickers of Hope team. We want to say thank you to you. Thank we you want to appreciate you and your team. And particularly what you appreciate your PA. She has been wonderful. She has been correspondence very easy. Thank you so much. Thank and I really you. appreciate you. I love to your husband for releasing you well. to us. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for having me. All right, bye. Bye. Come to the end of the March edition of Silence Generals. I believe you have gleaned wisdom and been able to pick up lessons for your own life and for your own journey that will help you maximize your own journey very well. Next month, we'll be back with another fantastic personality and we'll be sharing on all these issues again from their own perspective. Peculiar journey and their own peculiar story. I want to say happy.
have a lovely day and I'm Raragwega Dideji. I'm so excited to have you join us on Silent Generosity Edition. Please, if you have any question or any contribution for us, please send it to our email address, mr.o at gmail.com. Thank you very much. God bless.